And now, the starting lineup for your... Gangsters, what's up, guys? Are you a slacker? Envy. I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. God bless the internet. Hello and welcome to Flicking and Screaming. I am your host, Jed Sprague, here with my co-host, JT Chipman. Hello, hello. And Evan Fagundis. Hello. And this week, we are discussing the new movie from one Kenneth Branagh, Death on the Nile. But before we get into that, how are we, gentlemen? Chip, how are you doing? I'm great. I am anxiously refreshing my Twitter feed uh, to see if uh, one Jeffrey Passan tweets that the MLB lockout is over. Hoping and praying I am on pins and needles. Um, but other than that, I'm very good. I'm very good. I I apologize. I was a little bit late to this podcast because I was watching a film called Murder on the Orient Express. <laughs> that is why I had to delay by a couple of minutes because I, I, I'm i a little bit brana pilled right now, guys. I'm a, I'm a little bit poro pilled right now. Chip is all of Hollywood. We're on a best director. Evan, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Um, happy to have seen this movie in a movie theater. Just generally excited about uh, excited about talking about it. Nice. Well, unfortunately, due to some scheduling errors and overall just life revolving uh, around dadding, I had, was not able to make it to Death on the Nile in theaters this week, but it should lend us a very exciting uh, and interesting format for this podcast, considering my two co-hosts have seen it. So I have come up with five predictions slash assumptions that I have about this movie before having seen it. And I kind of want to use this as an opportunity to gauge how right I am backslash, like use them as jumping off points to talk about, uh, about the movies. That sound good to you guys. That sounds great. Now, yeah. if I can give a couple of questions of my own, you have you you've read the novel, I believe, as we discussed, I am. I am. and you've seen the first. You've seen Murder on the Orient Express, the yes. other Bron. Okay, believe, so you do I have some Murder on the Orient Express. <laughs> Pardon me. Um, yeah. are we are we doing spoilers on this episode? I think we can do spoilers. I know that I know the plot beats of of the novel, so I'm fine well, with it. Um, yeah. Just want to make sure the listeners know. Yeah, listeners, spoilers ahead. Um, most of my assumptions do not actually revolve around plot, though, so I'm interested. Okay. Like, it's mo- more about just the movie at large. Okay. So I'm really interested to see what you guys think based on, like, my perception of this movie having not seen it. This should be a fun and interesting uh, and unique, exciting podcast. Are we ready to jump in, my friends? Let's, let's make some assumptions. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. So my first prediction for this movie was that Emma Mackey would deliver the standout performance. I am a massive fan of Sex Education, the uh, Netflix show. Yep. And uh, her performance as Maeve in that. And so when I saw her cast in this movie, I got very excited. And throughout looking at the uh, the canceled squad that is the cast of this movie, uh, I determined that I thought she was going to be the best performance. Am I close? So my answer is 100% yes, including the the man behind the vision itself, uh, uh, Kenneth Branagh. Um, I thought she was great. Like, I, I love her from Sex Education as well. Um, she has, like, a really interesting 
not just look, but just like vibe about her that fit into the movie because she's trashy Margot Robbie. Well, okay. I wouldn't your words for sure. Um, <laughs> she does look that. a lot like Margot Robbie. I don't mean that. But, as an no, I, I hear wow. you, but she like has like kind of an edge to her that fits in this movie. And she seemed to realize the assignment the most when it came to like the tone of this movie and what this movie was doing as far as the like kind of camp type aspects that it was bringing i was a huge fan okay she was she was incredible i mean so the the, when we meet her character she is dancing with army hammer yes and this is you know this is i want to talk later about the brana amazing scene (laughs) um but this dance scene i mean when I say that they are having sex on the dance floor, literally, <laughs> oh my Jesus Christ! <laughs> they're 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 fornicating on the dance floor, and the the chemistry between the two is actually astounding. And like, it is a little bit odd to see how Army Hammer is um, pawing at her, yeah. frankly, and the way that he is dancing, considering some of the uh, issues surrounding surrounding our guy. But she makes an entrance. And she is absolutely astounding, really, in every scene. Uh, mm-hmm. The character that she plays really does work as a foil against a lot of the other characters and thus literally attracts the spotlight in terms of how the scene plays out and then just in terms of her physical presence as well. Um, so she she is incredible. I, I will say uh, the great Annette Benning is delightful in this as well. If I, if I had to look for other stand-up performances mm-hmm. outside of Mackie, Annette Benning and then Jennifer Saunders as the uh, communist sympathizer Marie von Schuyler was also quite delightful. Uh, Weird. Very, very timely. Very timely. Weird. You like the communist sympathizer? I know. I don't know. I don't know how that happened. It's amazing. One thing about this movie, I walked out and I forgot about 95% of it. So I'm like looking up to see who Jennifer Saunders played. Like, who is this communist loving <laughs> woman? I'm like, this. She was the the godmother. She was right. Gal Gadot's godmother who gave away her fortune right. to the, the to the communist party. Yeah, um, I, I'm. Which I'm is very clearly played yeah. for laps. Right. Yeah. Oh, so good. Um. Awesome. Well, I'm happy to know that her performance was as good as I was hoping it was. Gonna yeah. Be. Um, oh my! And she's gorgeous in the movie too. Yes. Very. She's a very yes. good looking. Uh, good looking woman. Uh, okay. You guys ready for number two? I'm kind of questioning number two after one thing that Evan said about understanding the assignment. Because my number two prediction was, this movie is fun at times, but overall takes itself a bit too seriously. Hmm. I don't know if it takes itself too seriously. I think it it does get quite emotional. Um, And I don't know how much I believe the emotion and the performance. There's a couple performances that have to carry a lot of emotion after spoiler alert a death on the titular <laughs> nile uh, but it's not it's not the death you it's like the death that occurs like to launch the third act right to launch the poirot going into his conclusions and it's it's a tough moment i don't know if the emotions are really what you want i, I will say though so how much I, I don't want to spoil it too much but after watching murder on the Orient express i felt more emotional about the uh, tragic events in the end of death on the nile based on oh, okay. the characters that kind of run through. So um, I don't think it takes itself too seriously, though. I do think it is pretty fun. Okay. Evan, what did you think? Yeah. You know, 
it's hard to say. My favorite parts of this movie were when it wasn't taking itself seriously at all. So I'd probably fall into the camp of like wishing it did that a little bit more often or mm-hmm. maybe just being shorter in general and, and cutting out some of the parts where it was getting, trying to get a little bit more emotional slash an actual really like straight down the line detective story, which it did do a couple of times. Um, and it, what was funny is in the theater that I was in, not many people were laughing at stuff, which I was kind of confused about, honestly, like I chip, I kind of wanted to bring that up to ask you a little bit. Like, I was laughing at stuff that other people were not laughing at. Did did you yeah. find that at all? Uh, I was in the theater by myself once again. Okay, perfect. The theater industry is in great shape, everybody. We're, we're <laughs> going to be just fine. Yeah, um, I got a little concerned when I bought my tickets for the Batman. And I was like, oh, am I going to be able to get tickets for opening night? Like, it's it's going to be tough. And there was not a seat purchased in the auditorium as of Whoa. Monday. Mine is full. Jeez. Yeah. Uh Remo Sriracha, not not yeah. apparently not big uh, DC fans. Much yeah, it's tough. Marvel, much more of a Marvel town. I will say the theater I, I'm going to is the like it's downtown. It's close to my house, but it's like the hardest to park at. And so I, I will assume, and it's the only one that doesn't have recliners. So I, I'm just going to assume that people that live a bit more on like the stretches of town are like maybe those are theaters are full. But yeah, I'm and to add some context for Death on the Nile, it has made 101 million internationally. It's mm-hmm. made its money back. It's doing really well. It's doing yeah. well. Definitely. It definitely. Has. Yeah. Um, internationally, especially. Which is super exciting. Okay. So um, it says more about my neck of the woods. Um, but but I did laugh. Yes, I did laugh at this movie. Um, <laughs> I I laughed at a few things that maybe I shouldn't have laughed at that they weren't going for laughs. Uh, if, if this is the time to talk about the infamous enough champagne to fill the Nile moment. Yeah. <laughs> well, that leads <laughs> like, me to one of my other predictions is that there was, in fact, enough champagne to fill the Nile. There's a lot of champagne in this movie, dude. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There was a lot of champagne. They were that was kind of just the drink of choice at all times. Yeah. And it factored and the after the, the titular uh, Nile. Yeah, it, it it became a plot point as well. With um, yeah. let's just say that there was a class of champagne that had a little more something something than champagne, and that yeah. affected one of the characters. See, that was a scene that made me laugh really hard, and I not many people were in my theater were laughing. Like I think. Every once in a while, the movie sort of did play stuff like it's like this is a real clue. Pay attention mm-hmm. when it was actually like one of the jokes, you know, yeah. or at least I I kind of felt that way. Like a couple times, like when stuff was revealed, I was like, oh, that's funny. Russell Brand like said something that I thought was kind of funny. And but I think people were like hanging on because it was, I guess, in a sense, like, you know, at that point, like diversions or whatever. I, but I think that points out a great a great thing about how these types of movies are like injecting comedy into these types of movies can be hard just based on like what the audience is expecting and i think like you almost have to like the movie definitely marketed itself more as like serious murder drama right and so i think there is a case where audience members go in not expecting that and maybe Mm -hmm. are caught off guard and like don't know if they should laugh or like interact with it does that make sense yeah yeah absolutely I, maybe to accentuate this point, because I'm I'm curious. Maybe maybe we're on different planes here, Chip. The the opening sequence is a World War One flashback. Without too many spoilers, <laughs> it is essentially a mustache origin story that you would Correct. find in the MC, MCU. For Poirot's mustache, literally, yes. like not like 100% literally, and it's shot like 
clearly Bronick like was shooting a real kind of war, basically mini movie that started this movie. Was that playing for laugh? Like, was he tongue in cheek doing that, or was he like, this is a dramatic moment? I have no idea, dude. See, I, I literally could. Too. I have isn't that the zero brilliant? clue what tone our guy KB was going for with this opening scene. <laughs> Because there's a there's multiple there's a lot of death that occurs in this scene. There is. And there's also moments that could be construed as funny. And it's like, does it's he like, not know? Is he just yes. trying for both and seeing whichever one you like more? Yeah. And he literally did like the Dark Knight face reveal scene yeah. with the perfect outline of a scar that would turn into where he has his mustache. And I was like, see, that's a scene where I was like laughing and I there was literally no one else in the theater laughing. Yeah. That's fine. I don't know, But man. I couldn't tell. Maybe it was supposed to be serious because it was shot well. Like, it looked good. He was doing, like, yeah. the, the trench, you know, the uh, Steadicam mm-hmm. trench shots and stuff. Like, it looked like it could be an outtake from, a, you know, World War I It looked like 1970. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. I feel, I feel like that makes me want to watch this movie more that description just that like yes the mustache dude it's unbelievable (laughs) it's so wild (laughs) (laughs) oh my god uh okay interesting so good to know that does it maybe doesn't take itself too seriously but maybe does but definitely like it's on the it's not over the top too seriously that was my can have fun with it for sure i was worried that like orient express I thought it was going to go like more dark and more serious for Death on the Nile, like try to raise the stakes. But I'm glad no, to hear lower, lower, lower Good. the stakes. Good, I love it. Okay, number three prediction. Uh, I'm so I'm basically I'm one for two. Gal Gadot's performance is bad, but it's not as bad as like everyone is expecting from the the whole champagne to fill the Nile line in the trailer. No, it's worse. You're kidding me. I'm not joking. It was it was so awful. Okay, I am I am. Can, I'm gonna spoil. Can I spoil a little bit? Yeah. She dies first. She is she is the character who's killed off first. It's exact. First of all, it's exactly at the halfway point of the movie. So we go an hour into this movie without a body dropping. Too long. What? Too long. There they now there is there is good tension building. There is some good action and some good uh, intrigue and suspense. But it's it's too long. Way too long. I need I need blood to spill before the hour mark. But regardless, she does die, and the movie just takes off after that. Like <laughs> it is ridiculous how much more fun I had just watching the screen without having to like hear a line reading from her about how scared she was about how she's like begging Poirot to come save them, and it's it's. Dude, it's so, like even just the way she walks, it's the most unnatural walk I've ever seen. Um, hmm, that's that is pretty funny. I, I'll be honest, like, I would say not a good performance for sure, but much more irrelevant than I thought it was going to be, in my opinion, in my movie watching experience. Like, based on the commercials, I was expecting her to be like kind of shouldering this movie. Like, I, I didn't know the story, I, I haven't. I haven't read the source material. I'm honestly, outside of like watching the movies, I haven't even seen the original Death on the Nile. But um, so I didn't know where it was going. I expected to kind of see her doing what she did in the first 
45 minutes of this movie throughout the entire runtime. So I was ready to really just be like tired of her by the end. But honestly, like Emma Mackey so owned the beginning of the movie for me. And then it moved into like the actual mystery. Like Chip said, it really picked up and, and there was some good like back and forth in the second half. I almost kind of forgot about her by the end, which probably isn't a good thing for somebody who's like at the top of your poster. But I don't know. It was like almost like she was gone early enough for me or something. It that wasn't good, though. I that is concerning, Chip, that she's def, that you said she was worse. But the fact that she's obviously I mean, the fact that she dies first helps. Yeah. So the performance I had a much bigger problem with is Army Hammer, to be honest. And not just like because of Army Hammer baggage. I legitimately, the accent work in this movie in general is like kind of insane, but his accent especially seemed really weird. And I just, is it that he was just not like kind of ambiguous thing, like vaguely Eastern European? Is that what he's going? No, it was more British. Yeah, it was like British. Okay. It was like but, half British. It was like a Brit. It, I mean, it sounded like a British guy who lived in America for several years. Yeah. So, so it's, a, yeah, or, it's, tra- it's a transatlantic. It's like the the classic, you know, nineteen forties, nineteen fifties thing. He he's definitely doing like the forties fifties thing. I, like you can tell he studied like some some like yeah. actors from that time. He's even kind of doing like a little I, bit of like the comedy. Like I wonder uh-huh, if that was like, the direction. I wonder if that was, was the it? direction. I mean, it could it uh, could be clearly people were just cooking in this movie like i said like the accents were all over they almost sort of seemed like it was just kind of like a hey let's come up with the best accent you can like let's just workshop it or something um but i don't know he was very distracting for me not very good like the whole time i i kind of assumed something was going on with him just without even spoiling any endings just because like he had such a weird vibe but uh Mm -hmm. yeah yeah the uh the the sobbing that he had to do at one point Yes. Yeah. And it played into the character because of what we find out. But at the same time, it was, yeah. Right. It, he just, he definitely could not compete with Emma Mackey at all either with like, there was like so, supposed to be such like a, like a sexual tension throughout the first part of this movie. And outside of the dancing, like I just didn't feel that at all, at least from his perspective. Sure. It seemed very, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, Basically, they had good chemistry when he closed his mouth. Yes, yeah, exactly. When they just got to be beautiful together and she got to talk. Oh, my yeah. God. It was, it was, I was sweating in the theater. Yeah, so, and it's like a Kenneth Brown. It's like a beautifully directed, like, song and dance number. That leads me to my next. This was my fourth prediction. Uh, was that we get to see Army Hammer's butt in this movie. I was expecting Army Hammer's butt to appear on screen, whether it be a sex scene or like I just hopped out of a shower. What do we got? Are we do we see the man's butt? We don't even see him shirtless, dude. Hate to yeah, break it to you. I don't what? think so. That's like I like said, I forgot most of it. Waste of the casting, in my mind. I don't know. It's like if we're not going to show I'm off glad. this dude's physique, then why are we? Why is he even cast in this movie? It's a fair point. Because yeah, uh, it's. Uh, like, there is a lot of sexual tension in that first dance scene, and then there are, like, many references to sex. Like, Gal Gadot awkwardly will be like, we've already made love three times. Yeah. Today. It just doesn't, it doesn't play at all. So, this is kind of weirdly a, a bit of a sexless movie after that yeah. first dance number. The three-time scene, great call, brutal line reading. Terrible. 
like that. It really seemed like just like a practice take when she said when she said that. They were really just kind of flying through those ones. But yeah, I, is this going to be like the last time we see Army Hammer? So in like a mainstream movie, can we break down the discourse? Like what's going on? All I know, all I know, I is honestly that, don't know is a that ton. He's a cannibal apparently, and then I mean, there's, there's some other like sexual assault allegations for sure. Well. Yeah, allegedly yeah. a lot of different claims of abuse and indeed a, fe- a fetish for cannibalism were made against him with a just just awful things. Like it's one it's one thing if you've got your kinks. I am not here to kink shame anybody, but when you go against consent, when you yeah. violate, you know, just based like moral clauses like this, it's tough. It's tough. I know like Nasty. he was dropped by his acting agency and by his publicist. He, I think he might have a couple of things that haven't come out yet. No, did he do the everything, tour? everything has come out. I'm pretty sure. Who did the press tour for this movie? I haven't really paid attention to that. Was there a press tour for this movie? They just did a ton of like paid media advertising, it seemed. Yeah, there wasn't. I didn't feel like I saw anybody on like the late night shows or. No. Yeah, I think people are just kind of. It's really. It's a really interesting way they rolled this out because clearly lots of these people, they can't, are just like not popular faces right now. Like for people like him, for literal like criminal reasons, for people like Gal Gadot, you know, the like lack of whatever uh, social awareness. Yeah, the Imagine video really. Yeah. Veronica's probably like too busy doing like Oscar type circuit stuff to be circling back around. So they just paid to have this shown a ton of times, like before movies and on TV during sporting events and stuff. And it was inescapable. It worked. Is it working though? I mean, I feel like it's clear they're making money. Seems to have worked. Seems to have worked. Like, is this something that they should just do? Hey, we're just going to show you this same preview like a thousand times. And we're not going to tell you anything else about the movie. I feel like the rollout cycle for a lot of these large movies now is almost exhausting i'm coming up with a theory on the spot here about this all right so hercule Poirot, he is he is he is ip he is in his step i was mm-hmm. a whole black set. i'm so sorry he is an established <laughs> like figure right uh-huh. but these stories are very self-contained you don't mm-hmm. need to see murder on the Orient express to see death on the nile you might get a couple of little things but you don't you don't need to you can just go and have a good time for two hours yep. while still seeing familiar characters you can't do that with a lot of other franchise tentpole IP big budget films. You mm-hmm. have to have seen TV show X and Y. You have to have seen movies three, four, six yeah. in order to get what's going on. So maybe there's a little bit of fatigue there. Maybe it's mm-hmm. like a bit of a throwback for some people. And I think a throwback to it's I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's an older demographic. I'm sure it's people who are older than us who are probably uh, supporting a, a lot of this film, but it's probably people older than us who are like, I can't keep up with all the Spider-Man, you know? Mm-hmm. No, yeah. that's that's definitely true. I mean, similar to like a Bond or something where it's like, yeah, yeah maybe you missed Spectre when it came out in theaters and you just haven't had a chance to watch it on streaming. Like you said, probably that older crowd, but they're like, they can still go out and watch Craig's last Bond. Yeah. Like it's not kinda, gonna be. I kind of hope that's what we get with like the knives out series, right? It sounds like we're going to get multiple knives mm, out, yeah. but I, I really do. I would love it if they were just kind of self-contained, mm-hmm. you know, the only through line is, is Craig. Yeah. Uh, it would be really, really cool. Just cause yeah. I think that lends itself to, I don't know, a diff, it's just a, a different, like what we love about the bonds, right? Is like, Oh, Hey, I'm bored. Like I can just toss this on the beats are, are familiar. 
but the story self-contained. I can just enjoy this story. I don't have to worry about what's the weight of this, like feeling like I need to watch. Like whenever I watch Lord of the Rings, I feel like I have to watch all three of them, right? Because <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. for better or for worse, I love those movies. But if I watch Fellowship, I'm like, damn, I gotta, I gotta watch Two Towers and and you know, Return. The only one that I can watch and feel like I don't have to watch the rest of them is Return because it's the last one, right? Like I know what's happened before. Yeah, the but, commitment is a lot less. Like yeah. it, it makes for so much easier watching, which is funny to say because like comic book movies you'd think would be the easiest watching because you don't really have to dig that deep into them, but they almost end up being the opposite because you have to like have all this lore in your head yeah. to, to at all engage with like the plot, you yeah, know, unless you're just so. watching for like straight up like yeah, the if, fight scenes or something. You yeah. Know? If you didn't, if you didn't stick around and watch the post credit sequence of Iron Man three, how could you possibly know who this character is when they show up on screen for a giant reveal? You know? Yeah. Yeah. But, absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, so this is my final prediction. Uh, so at this point I'm kind of like one and a half for four. So I'm not feeling great about, about my prediction levels. <laughs> um, but number five was though firmly like, a B minus C movie. This is the type of movie that we want to be released in theaters more. Like these are the types of movies that we wish like more of them existed. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I want more movies like this. I will say with an asterisk, this movie looks like shit. There are <laughs> multiple, it, it, it's, it's heightened because it's all at the beginning, but there are multiple scenes around the pyramids and around some, some sphinxes and some other uh, old stuff that is so, awfully cgi'd in it looks like something off of a youtube video other than that though yes i want to go spend two hours with hot and famous people right personal lives aside i want to see attractive people banter i want to see some bodies drop and i want to see a a french accent or a, a belgian accent i guess solve it all within a couple hours it's such a good time right it is extremely imperfect but I think it's an, it's a necessary imperfect. Yes, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I mean, this movie had a budget of ninety million dollars, and that's in that's like insane, right? That's not that much less than like Dune was. And we think of them being on on completely different scales. So I'm not saying we need to have a bunch of movies that are at ninety million, but like in that fifty to eighty million, it's just so great because. Chip, you're you're right. Lots of, the, especially the outdoor scenes, looked pretty bad. I thought the staging inside was was pretty solid, but like mm-hmm. the outdoor stuff, especially early on, was not very good. Um, and you could probably argue that they had too much money in that case, right? Like they had too many options when it came to like VFX and adding stuff in. Like if they'd been scaled down a bit, it probably honestly would have looked a little bit better, looked a little bit more practical. Um, but I like that it's like on a sliding scale and you could be like, they could have done some stuff better. They did some stuff pretty well. The movie was fine. Had a good time. Definitely worth my 14 bucks. Got out of there. Um, But then the other side of a movie like this would be like, this is like the man zone, right? Like his movies are pretty expensive, but $70 million for something like collateral. And that's like the other end of this type of movie. Like I'm not saying that the, that those movies are even comparable in the like, out of 10 range. I'm talking about like when they get greenlit, the type of audience that they're going for is very similar. It's It's like wide swaths of people. Upper middle class drama. It's not like the most expensive drama, but it's more expensive than like a true 
mid-level. Yes. And right. sometimes it's an absolute banger, you know, like a collateral or something. And sometimes it's maybe not even this one, but like Murder on the Orient Express, where you're walking out being like, that wasn't very good. I didn't like that that much. But like, I like that it existed. Which one I mean, is better? Death on the Nile or Orient Express? You guys both seen him. I I might like Death on the Nile more. Actually, I definitely like Death on the Nile more. I was waiting because I know you. Saw I will it recently. say the thing is spoiler for more Express. I don't like when it's like, oh, everyone did it. Give me give me a couple of killers. Give me one or two like like, and I really wish it wasn't even two. I really wish it was just one. Like I really mm-hmm. like the single solitary evil geniuses plot. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. No, I'm with you. But that this is just me- like. Go ahead, Jed. I was gonna say that can make me feel the same way. Like watching Outer Banks makes me feel, when like the the every character that's ever died comes back to life, and you're like, oh fuck you, like mm. the whole, it's everyone. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. These types of movies are cool. I mean, even like what, I feel like we just grew up in kind of a good era. Obviously, for yeah. Like like a movie like Disturbia would come out probably oh. without any sort of marketing on Netflix now. And it might still be pretty good, and and we might talk about it for a week on Twitter weird. or something. It would but have like, that weird sheen. what's that? They said it would have that weird Netflix sheen. Yeah, probably. Yeah. It definitely would look worse. <laughs> but I don't know. It just wouldn't be. And obviously, movies that come out in theaters aren't as much uh, like the center of pop culture as yeah. as even they were when we were kids. But um, it's Is just that... cool to think that I could go out and see one of those like basically every Friday. That's why I like old so much last year. Does that have something to do with maybe like – I feel like movie star culture has like died down. It used to be everything, right? And mm-hmm. was that part of it? It was like if you throw Clooney in a movie or you threw Shia LaBeouf in a movie, like everyone was going to go see it no matter what, right? And you'd put the – you'd spend a lot of your budget on these these bigger stars in these you know mid to high level budgeted movies that would make decent amount of money it's like it's like for me it's weird the perfect example is of this from this past year is no sudden move like how is that not released in theaters and i know it's obviously different different time i'm very thankful it was released on streaming but that's the type of movie that i do feel like would go straight to straight to streaming regardless even though it's soderbergh mid-level crime drama with a great cast Mm -hmm. yeah no that's that's true. I mean, what if – and he probably wouldn't want to make it this way. What if he had – well, I guess No Sudden Move is kind of a weird example because it was released in the middle of COVID. I don't know exactly what their plan was like pre-COVID. But I would love for that movie to have like a budget of $50 million if Soderbergh felt like he could make it work and mm-hmm. have that like lead a weekend for sure. What, what was the, the uh, Meryl Streep movie that he made? Did that one come out during COVID on HBO Max? Um, oh. The uh, – The the laundromat that was no, netflix that was no not the laundromat the other one. <laughs> oh, the one with um fuck who is it who's the who plays opposite her um lucas hedges i'm looking it up i don't know oh, i just know oh he, let them all talk that yeah, was yeah, hbo so. max that was during the pandemic hbo max fantastic movie highly recommend let them all talk was that a pandemic movie though and like um yeah that was to do all of these like yeah i think it was COVID. i think it was 2020 he, yeah, it was a pandemic movie. They shot it, I believe, before COVID, though, on a, on a boat. They shot it in, like, eight days on a, on a boat. I do remember the eight-day thing. So it's just interesting that, like, he's so he had agreed to do this even before, unless, he, unless he's a, a sightseer. You know? Yeah. 
I might be, you know, he, he did sign that deal with HBO. No sudden move might've been streaming straight even before COVID. Honestly, I'm not exactly sure. He did sign that big deal release, you know, where HBO it's going to, yeah, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. It's hard because you're right. Those, you, those used to be like leading a weekend at a movie theater and now they do just come straight to streaming. And while I like the option of them coming straight to streaming, I feel like a lot of the time they fly under the radar a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. And it could be, I don't know. Conscious as much. Right. And it could be both sort of, or even just like give it three weeks and then go to streaming. Like yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure people who don't want to leave the house would be upset about that and probably rightfully so, but it doesn't seem like it would, you'd have to wait that long if you already I have think, like streaming deals. Yeah. What is it? What's the rule? Like their one paramount has the 90 days rule with yeah. like, like house of Gucci. It's like it'll come 90 days regardless of how well yeah. it does the box office. Yeah, mm-hmm. the the exclusive release windows. Yeah, I kind of right. like I like that because it's it gives people the option. At least they have a date in their heads. Hey, if I don't want to get out of the house, I know it's going to come out this date. The worst was when you were you saw a movie in theaters and you loved it and you wanted to like see it on DVD and you were waiting for it, but it was so good that it was in the theaters for like seven months. Dude, yeah, you wait. That, like I was thinking of that at Blockbuster. And and it wouldn't even come until it was like six or eight months outside of theaters, right? Yeah. Sometimes on demand was even like that. So yeah. sometimes it would be like almost a full year from when it like finished its theater run or when it started its theater run to like when you could literally rent it. Yeah, I remember like store. always being on the lookout at Target. Like when I would go to Target yeah. with my mom on like, okay, what? Oh, this is what's coming out now. That must mean this movie that I like that came out just after that is only a couple weeks away from like being on DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I think these are the movies that I don't know personally. I I like more than the big block like blockbusters for the most part. I do like some big blockbusters, but these mid level dramas are what make make me like movies. Like when I think yeah. about all, all of our mm-hmm. favorite movies from the last couple of years, or or you know what these are. It's a perfect example. This is probably the best way to put it. These are the movies that you want to tell your friends about because everybody knows about the big blockbusters that are coming out. But these are the movies where, like, you see. And obviously, Death of the Nile is not a good example because, because it, you know, it 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 was a big, big, big budget. You know, came out to much claim. But those mid-level dramas, you know, those kind of like upper are like, have you seen this yet? Like, you gotta go yeah. see this. Like Crazy Stupid Love, right? Didn't that cost like yeah. sixty million dollars? And it's literally only people talking. But sixty million for it's that good. movie is insane. By the way, I don't probably. Know I, I assume most of it was salaries, but yeah, it oh, had to be. Yeah. But, but it's but that's worth it, right? Is you spend yeah twenty million on Gosling and twenty million on Carell, and then you get twenty million on John Carroll Lynch, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's fresh off Zodiac. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! All right. Well, last thing I want to ask: so, do you guys like it? Dislike it? Would would recommend people go see it? Yeah, yeah, I liked. I had a good time. You know, um, I think that this movie was made for adults um maybe not like movies used to be made for adults it's it's a different kind of adult right but like these are the stars kind of of yesterday for the most part not Gadot, but like pretty much everyone else is like oh you've already had your prime and you've you've moved past your prime and maybe your prime was like two decades ago or something like that but we're going to put you in this movie and you're gonna look great, and we're gonna we're gonna give you that 
glitz and that glam and we're gonna we're gonna put you on put y'all on the poster like you used to be and we're gonna tell everyone that you need to come see these stars on the big screen and they're not really gonna talk down to you i don't feel i mean i think the movie is like kind of dumb at some points but i don't think it treats me like i'm dumb and i think there is i think there's a really big difference i think it treats me like i'm an adult and then i can figure some stuff out uh on, on my own and I was I was watching the Ocean's Eleven movies this weekend, and that thought crossed my mind there that these movies are made for adults. And you used to get a lot of movies like Ocean's Eleven in a year, and we don't get very many. And I can nitpick Brana, and I can poke fun, but it worked. I think it works, and I think we need more of these. Love it. Yeah, I, I'm all the way back in on Brana. I mean, I would say good. <laughs> I would say thumbs up. Um, in like, I'd I'd recommend taking two hours to see it. I wouldn't necessarily say thumbs up and like that it's a great movie, but I definitely enjoyed myself while I was watching it. Had a couple performances that were pretty interesting. Had a couple that were not good, which is kind of almost makes for some fun in itself. Um, had a pretty good soundtrack, and a couple sequences that are just like legitimately good. And like the dancing sequence and a couple of the like multiple people in a room going back and forth detective work. Like some of those scenes were legitimately entertain like entertaining. Um and yeah, Brana, like uh I'm I'm back in. Like I honestly saw Belfast the other day, as I mentioned to you guys uh, off air, I believe. I was very surprised after seeing it that at one point it was like the favorite for best picture. I didn't really understand that. Um, but taking away that baggage, had a pretty fun time with Belfast. It was kind of a light watch, and then had a pretty decent time with Death on the Nile too. Love yeah, it. he directs the shit out of these movies too. Like he he, he is making he's a capital D director, man. He's gonna do some weird shit with with mirrors and like double mm-hmm. windows. Man, he he's gonna have a good time. He does. And it's so funny, like, when I'm thinking of how hard he's directing, and then he has Russell Brand delivering his lines, and I'm like, that's just so bizarre. What was ha- what Russell Brand was, like, playing the most normal dude in this movie. He <laughs> did absolutely nothing guy. Russell Brand-like. Not at Maybe all. He's he, not, is, he, is he on, like, a redemption tour? Russell yeah. Brand redemption. He had some stuff, too, didn't he? Yeah, big time. Yeah, for... Probably and definitely like shit, shit guy. Like just, but his character itself, you're so right. He actually had some great points. Like the the my favorite line from the commercial was like his, "What do you want me to say?" Like exclaiming, and he's kind of right. His whole interrogation by Poirot, it's kind of like, yeah, he sort of has whatever this uh, as much of a motive as anyone else, but. He's also kind of being pressed and he is just like a normal guy who's like kind of what do you want me to say? I, I can't really say anything else to defend myself. Like it is very strange that they didn't choose him to at all be like off the rails or anything. Mm-hmm. Just funny, funny casting. All right. I think any parting thoughts before we wrap this bad boy up? Uh, I mean, I'm just with the marketing aspect. I'm looking at this movie on Letterboxd and there's like a uh, there's like a nice portrait of everybody in the top banner and Gal Gadot is in front of everybody and like very clearly in front of Brana. So it is interesting that they, you know, I talked about these are a lot of stars of yesterday. Gadot is not, she's a star of today and they have put her at the front, but everybody else is, is kind of behind. So it, it is interesting the way they've marketed it. And I think it could be a good like case study in how to market a movie 
for adults in the year 2022. Um, I'm just looking through these performances. I do, uh, Sophie Okonodo was amazing as Saloma Otterborn. She's like a, she's like a blues singer that yeah. like her and, her and Poirot maybe have the best chemistry of anybody in the movie. Mm-hmm. They, they've got, they've got a real good back and forth going. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty adorable, honestly. Like it's, it's, it's like kind of sexy, but also just kind of cute. Yeah, it is. Um, totally agree there. Also want to give a shout out to, uh, Rose Leslie. It's always nice to see the Game of Thrones, um, uh, That's where cast she's from. come around. Oh my God. Yeah, right? killing me the whole time, of yeah. course. Like, you know nothing, Jon Snow. Jon Snow. Oh, I say that all the time, too. Literally, oh. ask anyone in my personal life, I just say, you know nothing, Jon Snow, like, mm-hmm. every other day. I want to feel my warmth. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> And with that, uh, we are going to wrap up this pod. Thank you so much for listening. As always, follow us on Twitter at Flicking Scream, on Instagram at Flicking and Screaming. Next week, we're going to be discussing another upper mid-tier drama, and that is Robert Pattinson in The Batman. Just a little little, uh, unknown. Guys, the hype train is leaving the station for this movie. The reviews that are coming in from people that I generally agree with are insanity. And I'm ready to be immersed i'm trying to steer clear yep. of the reviews i'm trying i've steered clear uh, i've steered clear of like most of the newer clips and trailers too because apparently there's something floating around where you can see paul dano's riddler face and i'm i'm trying to yeah trying I, not. I haven't i haven't watched a ton of the the like newer trailers or anything but i just saw a couple of spoiler free reviews from some writers on twitter that i enjoy and the praise was outpouring and i'm just like oh god. my god I I'm glad this is like a relatively we'll short episode. We might go, we might go balls to the wall. Yeah, we. I mean, it's a three-hour movie. We might have to do a two-part podcast, three hours, <laughs> double the runtime. <laughs> we have to go minute by minute. Yeah, we're gonna do a minute. Yeah, just a scene by scene breakdown. We have we have Christopher Nolan coming in to compare it to his friend of the pod, mm-hmm. Chris, Chris Nolan. Uh, all right. Well, I'm super excited uh, for next week. Until then. This has been Flicking and Screaming, Judd Sprague, JT Chipman, and Pagundis. Goodbye. See ya. Good night, everybody.